Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Inner Fight Podcast. I hope you're having a fantastic week. I hope you have a few minutes to do me a favor, and whatever platform you're listening to the show on, please give us a rate, give us a review, say something nice about us. If you're if you're here, you're obviously enjoying what we're talking about, so say something nice about us on some platform or share the show. I'd really appreciate that, and it helps the show grow. The show is not full of ads. The show will not ever be full of ads, but the more people we can touch makes the show bigger and better. Please, and thank you. As I said, I hope you've had a great week and I hope you're ready for this week's show. In this week's show, I speak to a guy who's become a good friend, a very good cycling friend, which there is a difference between a friend and a cycling friend, Ollie Higgins. And we are talking all about why we give up. What makes us give up? Decision-making processes, purpose. We spoke about purpose with Jeff a few weeks ago, but Ollie touches on it a little bit as well. And we also try and link quite a lot of theory into practice by sharing one of Ollie's recent, quite incredible cycling journeys as well, where he started out basically playing an infinite game. Those that have listened to the show might have heard me speak before about Simon Sinek, The Infinite Game, a great book. And a lot of what we speak about in this show is a little bit related to The Infinite Game as well. I won't spoil it all. Ollie's a great guy. He's got some awesome thoughts. And this was really a cool conversation. I've listened to it twice, so it must be half decent. This week's announcements. Yes, I'm back from Vienna, a weekend running the Vienna City Marathon with Steph and Ladies Run Club. There are over a dozen of them over there. And the reason I mention it is it's quite unique to see a dozen ladies travel from Dubai to Europe to run a marathon or half marathon as they did. Very inspiring on a number of levels and shows that maybe sport, running, fitness, getting out of breath is not quite so bad when you add a little bit of tourism to it. Although I definitely prefer to run a marathon than tour the sites of Vienna. I've been there before, so I didn't do them this this time that I went. But super awesome trip. If you do get a chance to go on a trip that has sport involved, I highly recommend it. I've been doing it for a number of years. Anyway, I'll move on. This week in the gym, it is, by the time the show comes out, it will be almost the end of Hell Week. For those of you that have done it, I hope that you've had fun. For those of you that haven't done it or that do not live in the country so cannot do it, I encourage you to put together your own Hell Week every now and again. We do it twice a year here at the gym where we have five days of super tough workouts just to push you a little bit further, both mentally and physically. Talking about pushing a little bit further, something that is on the horizon at the end of May into the darkness. You might have seen this over on social media. They'll definitely be talking about it on the Inner Fight Endurance podcast. 50 kilometer ride, 50 kilometer run, 50 kilometer ride on the last weekend of May, basically. It's the same weekend that I will actually be in Italy taking part in Steelman, which is a 24-hour event, which I might actually do a whole show on either before or after. Let me know if you'd like to hear about that. If you want to challenge yourself in the night in an endurance event, doesn't matter whether you do endurance or not, this is a super cool one. Give them a shout, endurance@innerfight.com, and they will give you the information that you need to get involved in that. Finally, from here at the gym, people that are having issues with their hands, I want to speak to you. People, CrossFit people that have issues with their hands, we have from, and this is not a sales pitch, this is actually to help you. 
You will have to buy something, but it will help you. We have a load of products available from the WOD guys at the front desk, which is everything from what's called gymnastics grips, which protect your hands and also give you more grip on the bar when you're doing pull-ups. So actually make a pull-up and a toaster bar a little bit easier down to hand care protection, callus cutters. Yes, you should cut calluses off. I think I did a show on calluses once long time ago, the way that a callus continues to grow. Anyway, that's a long announcement. There is a lot of stuff down there that will actually protect your hands and make you perform the gymnastics movements on the bars a lot better. Go check it out. Lots of good products. They're not that expensive either. So take take it easy. That is the announcements for this week. I hope that you guys have had an awesome week. Please do take a minute, rate and review the podcast. And hey, why not just share it with a friend so more people can listen to my voice. This is episode number 803 of the Inner Fight Podcast with Ollie Higgins. No matter where you are in the world, thanks a lot for tuning in. Let's jump into today's show. Ollie, here we go. A topic that I'm sure everyone wants to hear about. <laughs> Mate, I'm gonna, we're going to kick straight into it. Yeah. What makes us give up? Let's answer it in the first five seconds and then we can... <laughs> um, I guess as soon as you start to get to a position where whatever you're doing uh, doesn't make sense compared to where you want to get to, you start to raise questions, right? So for me, I think it's question of what you're doing in the short term perhaps versus where you thought it was where yeah. it's going to be and then perhaps is it taking you where you thought you wanted to go so um, when the purpose of the exercise is lost or not clear perhaps yeah yeah or i think that's because sometimes it's a question of how you thought it was going to go yeah and I think that's also where it starts to get a little interesting, right? Here we because, go. Because it's a question of what was your expectation? Yeah. You know? And then it's a question of what are you feeling at that point? Yeah. And perhaps it's also a question of how do you think you're going to feel if you continue to do what you're doing? Let's hit the first one first. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about expectations, mate. We hear this a lot, yeah. setting them, managing them, people's expectations not being met. Run us through your thoughts on expectations. It's a tough one. And I think in order to do it, um, firstly, you've got to understand the limitations of it. And you've got to understand that perhaps there's a positive side to it, but there's also potentially a negative side to it. Yeah. Um, and, and easily, we kind of are drawn perhaps sometimes to quantifying our expectations. You want to hit a certain distance. You want to hit a certain time. Um, Quite often, you can also perhaps set your expectations in terms of uh, things that are perhaps harder to measure in terms of a feeling. Yeah. Or in terms of, are you doing your best? Are you getting to a point where you're actually reaching a limit? Those are all ways of thinking about expectations, um, and they can all kind of take you in different paths, perhaps. You're a father. Yeah. One thing that I remember when I was young is we were told to do our best, yeah. which is what you mentioned there. Yeah. So how do you manage that under this theme of expectations? Yeah. How do you manage? Because I'm sure you tell your kids, just do your best. Yes, you do. Do I, you or don't you? <laughs> you do. And, it, and it's a tricky one because I think that I've often been brought up with the idea of, fine, yeah, do your best. But it's about results. So, so <laughs> there, there's a fine line, right? Between yeah. you say, oh, well, you know, you tried your best. And that kind of line gets rolled out sometimes. Yeah. And, and I think that the, the key point that 
I find quite interesting about this whole subject is that the only person that can tell whether you actually tried your best is yourself. No one else can ever judge you on that, really. So it's trying to figure that out for yourself, and then it's how you tie those things together between the idea of what is an effort, how does that relate to your best effort, and then how does that relate to your results. And those can take you in kind of different paths, and some of them can kind of lead you to stopping short, perhaps. You know, if you're not getting the result, but you feel that you're trying your best or you feel that you're trying your best and, and different things are coming out of it that you didn't perhaps expect. You know? Let's try and tie it to your sports performance. Obviously, mate, you've been on a, what, what I would say is a super interesting. I think your, from what I've seen, your, your athletic journey has actually been more of a journey of absolute self-discovery, which I think yeah. it is for, for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. How do you tie that measure of effort that you said where we're often dictated to by numbers, be it in the gym downstairs, how much you can put on the bar, how many pull-ups you can do unbroken, take it into what... I think you started running and then went quickly to triathlon yes. and then to ultra cycling, which I'm excited to get to yeah, as well. Correct. How, I guess... Where the, a good place to start with it is what was effort and your best and how was it measured at the start and maybe yeah. how has it changed? Uh, it's a good question because I think that when you start getting into endurance, having come from like a team background playing sports, cricket particularly, you weren't really used to looking at things like pace, power, stuff like that. And then you come into this position where you've got loads of data and, yeah. and actually for a while you have to learn how to use the data and it's a useful process and then you perhaps go a little bit too far with that and you forget what it means to be 7 out of 10 versus yeah. 9 out of 10 you know and how does that change within your first hour compared to your 6th hour or your 12th hour or whatever it is right yeah so there's part of a process then of actually then being very honest with yourself about what you can do and what you can't do um, and I think from my perspective, what I found over those last five years through that period is that you start to realize what is your true effort and what is your mind thinking about what you perhaps should be doing and judging your effort as a relation to what your numbers are putting out. Yeah. Which sometimes can be part of the confusing factor, I think, where people are thinking, well, I should be here. And that's perhaps actually maybe your ego thinking you should be able to hold a certain power for a certain period of time, yeah. or whatever it is. In reality, maybe you can't. Um, that's where it starts to get interesting. And I mean, that links back to the expectation, yeah. really, isn't yeah. it? It's like you've come into it or you see certain things, so you have this... It, I like what you said about ego there, mate, because a lot of it is ego. It's like, well, Can I be. should be able to do this. Can be. And I think that when I started from going shorter distance to longer distance, mm. there's definitely an element of ego at play because you're still looking at numbers mm. and you're still thinking, well, you know, how far can I go? And if you go 300K, 400K, 500, you know, at, at some point it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Really, for anybody else. No one else cares like you care, right? But at the same time... <laughs> so good. Right? But at the same time, you kind of... You're still chasing that. And if for some reason you can't hit a certain number, you start mm. to become affected by that. You might start to become disinterested by it. Mm-hmm. It might start to take you away from your original purpose. And that's a, therefore then a, maybe a false expectation. Or maybe mm. it's an expectation set on a, a false premise because it's being driven by something... It actually doesn't serve you and like that's it should do. 
that actually links us super fast back to what we said at the start that now the purpose has been removed yeah. and that's the point at which we, we simply just give up. Well, I think that's, that's key. Yeah. That is key because you, you start to get to that stage and depending on what you're doing and how long a period you're in a certain amount of discomfort for. Yeah. Huh? Now we're moving to the nice place. <laughs> then, then unless that is really strong... Um, in terms of that reason, unless that reason is strong enough, mm. then it's far easier to start to listen to the narrative which, which always comes, which is, why are you doing this? This mm. is hard. It's only going to get harder. You know? And that narrative just probably gets louder and louder the longer you, <laughs> you sit in that space. Where does that narrative come from, mate? Um, I guess part of it is from that original expectation, perhaps. Mm. It's where you thought you may have been. Whether you consciously are predicting I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, or if not, still you might be pushing yourself to a position you've not been before, and therefore you're, you're naturally pulling things back to a point that you're more familiar with. So if you're past your limit, if you've done something which is longer or harder than you've done before, naturally you'll be trying to pull it back to where you were when something else happened to you that was hard. And if it gets harder then what do you do with it? How, how do you react in that position? Yeah. And then the next thing is then you start to project it forwards. You know, what's going to happen if I feel like this now? How on earth am I going to feel in four hours' time? <laughs> I've still got to do or 30 X, seconds. Y, and Z. Or, or exactly, or 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, where it starts to get really interesting because it's about taking stuff from the past, taking stuff from the future, and, you know we're not so good actually about projecting accurately mm. in reality. And that ties back into then thinking, well, do I keep going with this thing that I'm doing if it's going to make me feel in such a way at some point in the future? Yeah. <laughs> Folks, we're less than 10 minutes in. This might feel a bit heavy, but I think it's something that's... And the, I think one of the problems with it, mate, is that it's probably quite like we're talking about the past, we're talking about the future and this thing and that application to daily life yeah. is, is, is a lot easier. The word I'm looking for that I've just found is theoretical. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of theoretical things as to why we actually start and as to why we stop. However, and I'm interested to get your opinion on this, mate. You've obviously, over the last, well, of your life, got closer, more in touch with the theoretical side. That's why you're able to put it over in the way that you have so far. That's a process though. Yes. Because you now understand, like we were all, and I was probably one of the worst, and I'll put my hand up and I often do, slave to the data. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you said it, like what, what's the difference between 300Ks and 350Ks on the bike. Yes. Nobody has any measure of what 300 is. So no, if you sure. do 350, they don't care either. No. But it's your ego wants yes. to say 350. So what, what is it, mate? And are there, like, can you think of any sort of points in your life that stuff started to click? Like, when did you start not really caring about heart rate data, for example? Uh, only relatively recently. Yeah to be honest. Uh, and only when you go, only when you go longer. Yeah. I mean, 
we can talk about the the ultra side of it because I think a lot of the good stuff can happen there because yes. it's uh, for an extended period of time and because there's less distractions, you tend to find more about yourself perhaps in those periods of time but the good thing about it is is that it's completely applicable to what you do on a day-to-day basis and i think that the difference is that it's easier to become aware of these things in certain scenarios than it is in day-to-day life yes but in reality the thing still plays out uh and and affects because all all we're talking about when you're talking about giving up is effectively decision making that's all it is it's just a question of are you making decision one way or the other and are you doing it then perhaps under fatigue or under certain amount of discomfort but it's the same in your day-to-day life and people will make decisions all the way through their day based on the level of discomfort or fatigue that they have yeah and i tell you what i really like about it is is actually that the way that your mind works and your narrative perhaps goes around a decision is that it will always try and find the route that's best for you Right, so you that's can always interesting, right? right? So you but that's best for you. You say, right, I'm going to give you a situation where you have to make a decision. Yeah, and it, say it's all theoretical for the sake of argument now, and you do it in. I give you the, the situation in 12 hours time, and you think about it, and you can probably make quite a rational decision right now. But if you do it under a certain load, yeah, you know, your decision can be quite different, um, and that can happen just because it's a Friday. And it's the end of a long week, yes. as opposed to the decision you make on a Monday when perhaps you're rested, just in your day-to-day life. So the, so the process is still similar, yeah. even if the, the stressor you know, is different. So therefore, to be in touch with our decision-making process is actually the key. Yeah, and I think it's essential to any form of performance. Yeah. Right. Because it's you know any form of high performance, if that's in business or family life or sports or or anything, unless you're making good decisions on a very consistent basis, mm. that's going to define how you perform over the long term right, in anything. When people make both good and bad decisions, because and and. There is a difference, right? There's a good decision, there's a bad decision, and there's a decision that the consequences are neither good nor bad. They just kind of, yeah. they just kind of roll with it. Yeah. Do you think people spend enough time reflecting on the results of a good decision and the results of a bad decision? I think, uh, no, in short. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, and I think that because people don't necessarily... Um, realize that all the decisions that you're making all have a consequence mm. so so the same process that applies to you know a life-changing decision such as you know changing career or moving countries or whatever people will reflect on those decisions a lot yes perhaps too much yeah but they won't necessarily reflect on what they do on a day-to-day basis um you know do you go to the gym five times a week or you know did you put the work in when it actually really got tough or did you actually just postpone the meeting to the following day because you had a little bit of extra time and actually yeah. you know what by two days time it'll long be gone yeah and everything will be totally fine because it wasn't on deadline and it's not an issue yeah but in reality what you've done is you've built a process of just postponing something perhaps because you weren't up for it mm. you know and that can compound over time right it's interesting because I, I actually think we spend a disproportionate amount of time pondering why we made bad decisions compared to why we made good decisions. 
Yeah. We, we, and, and, and let's put it into a sporting context or it could be a work context, but if you pull out of a race, you'll spend hours, if, it, if, if you care, which we're yeah. presuming most people do, you'll yeah. spend hours, literally what a phrase we'd hear often, doing your head in yes. about why you pulled out. Yes. If that race goes perfectly to plan, you made a lot of good decisions yeah. at the right times that got yeah. you the result that you wanted. You just presume that that's, that's okay. Yes. Whereas yeah. that's, that's also behavior of, of learning our decision-making process. Yeah. So why aren't we, we, we need to spend as much time. It's, it's like working on strengths or, or weaknesses, isn't it? We should be spending as much time when a sporting event or a business deal goes really well debunking it, yes. doing our head in as yes. to why it went so well. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So that we can then sort of retrain or continue to train that decision-making process. Yes, I agree totally. Because like I said, I think that once you start to think about certain things, you know, there's, it's not a formulaic approach to decision-making, but mm. I think that there's definitely a pattern that you can start to think about when you approach your decisions. And you can analyze that on a relatively small scale and start to repeat it. You know, so your positive decisions that you're making on a day-to-day basis, yeah. perhaps you've been doing it for so long that it's, it's just become second nature, but you may well be struggling with something else. So you've got to think about how, how was that built? How did you create that process in the first place? And, and how do you then start to apply it to other areas? So exactly that, taking those good elements yeah. and then start to think about how the big one, perhaps the got away, right? The, you, know, you may well just be stronger, therefore, in the future as to how you're going to tackle the next, uh, the next issue. So tell us a little bit, mate, about how this is applied or these things linking it to your journey in endurance sports because I've watched kind of, not from afar, but from the back row. Yeah. And it's been really interesting to see your development. So I'm interested to hear about it, why it's moved in the way it's moved and, and, and how things how you've seen things well i guess part of it is when you start doing long distance cycling <laughs> there's not many events right so if you're in the world of triathlon or yeah. short-term races then i guess it's perhaps a little bit easier to be um to be considering numbers on a more frequent basis because you're looking for a time yeah and in order to get to a time you need to think about certain power uh, and certain splits and stuff like that whereas if you're just going to go and ride your bike for a long time like there's no there's no even fixed courses you know it's just a question of what you can cover in a certain period of time or or over a weekend or whatever and i think that once you start to do that you take away the the boundaries of the situation it means that the data doesn't really apply as much yeah you know and i did one thing which was in hindsight was actually probably really helpful which was to do um a bit of a tour around northern emirates and it wasn't well, I had a route, but there were elements that weren't prescribed. So what ended up happening was that when you got to those decision points, which is, mm. say, Jebel Jace, how many times you're going to go up and down it, yeah. if it was a fixed three, for the sake of argument, then it's kind of black and white, fail or don't fail. Yeah. But if it's not, how do you judge it? And you can't judge that on power. This is a super... You- Tell a story about this one, mate, because this is, it's actually in my notes to ask you. So it's good that you've, you've come to it. So you, you, you set out, carry on. <laughs> so, I, so I did a, a ride from Al-Qudra in Dubai. Uh, 
with Jebel Jace as being the furthest point away, the, the turning point, if you yeah. like. And it was the long way. So we went via uh, Choker, Hatta, Calva, Fajero across, got to Jace. The idea was to do at least one rep and then come back a different way, but also kind of a long way. Yeah. By the time I got to Jace, um, I was struggling. I was hurting probably more than I thought I was hurting. How far had you ridden? Been. Probably about 400 Ks in that day. Solid. But the, but the issue wasn't, um, I mean, it was physical, of course it was physical, but it was really the, the stress of, I think, riding on the roads, thinking about things that you hadn't thought about before. Like purposely, I hadn't checked every part of the course out because I wanted to have surprises. Yeah, <laughs> like adventure. None of them were, yeah, exactly. That was part of the attraction. Mm. Uh, but then you get to it and you think, these are not positive surprises right so by the time you get there uh you know you're more fatigued than i thought i was going to be at that point and i'd never been by that point i'd that was probably the furthest i'd been in terms of not in distance terms but from a mental perspective in terms of the status that i was at at that yeah. stage i was out of my limit or right. whatever i'd done in the past and there was a point when you come from masafi through to rasul kama so you go back across the hajar mountains and then you're going into Ras City for resupply. I think it's about 80Ks. Right. And that was pretty dark because it was, well, it was physically getting dark. I'd left my light in Hatter, stupidly. I had a head torch as a front light. Yeah. And I hadn't figured out that through Masafi, that's where all those crushers, the rock crushers and the quarries and all that kind of stuff is. And I hit it at about 6 o'clock. And it was just full of trucks and there was rubbish on the road and it was just miserable. Mm. And this is where the narrative then starts. How many reps are you going to do with Jace? You know? And it's like, it goes from one through to, you're feeling good, I'm going to do five. And then you're feeling rubbish. Oh, there's a hotel in, in Rasakema City. Maybe you just crashed there. And, and then you wow. start to then almost, you can't do anything about it because you're still riding. And then you start to just hear the narrative over and over again and and it's kind of then an interesting process to see or hear what's the story because it's almost like you've got the side of you which is saying keep going you're not even halfway yet what are you talking about and then the other side going, yeah but this is harder than you thought it's not perhaps as safe as you thought it's not definitely not very comfortable all those kind of things going on at that stage when you set out what did you set out to do I think that in, in part there was, a, there was a certain distance and there was an elevation, right. right? So that you have something in mind to frame it, right? So it was similar to what you might find at a biking man o man or something like that. That was kind of the idea, but at the, at the time it was COVID and these events were cancelled. So that was the very first idea, yeah. was to just go and do something that you would have perhaps done in an event should an event have been on. Yeah. But after that, then it was really just a question of go find your limit, go explore, go to places in the UAE that you haven't been to before. Mm. Go and experience them on a bike as opposed to just driving past them. And then that's where you get the, the softer side of it almost, which is like the less quantifiable side of things. Yeah. Um, and then really it was about challenging yourself, you know, and, and being out on your own, you know. Because I remember you, you said to me like, look, I can drive yeah. behind you, which is really kind, by the way, thanks. <laughs> but, but there was part I didn't want that because I wanted to see what happens when no one's looking. Yeah, and that's, that's very that's, cool. And that's quite a big thing, I think, because mm. I knew that having someone like yourself or someone else there influences how you make decisions. Of course. And influences your own narrative. Even if you're saying, look, don't talk to me, and obviously that wouldn't be an issue, you yeah. just not saying it. Yeah. You know that someone's 
watching and it's influencing your your process as opposed to just being completely isolated almost and say okay well this is really hard yeah how's that going to play out you know (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting mate because and i actually wrote about it after rackman you know why why do i make events they're not even events why why do i go out and do stuff on my own yeah you know i actually I don't know. I process it quite a lot, not because I am not that worried about what people think. I used to be when I was younger, but now I don't really care. Yeah. I think once you've run <laughs> or your face is on Burj Khalifa with a crop top on, you kind of <laughs> get over what people think about you. <laughs> Maybe that's ego playing out in itself, you know, but it's a really interesting one because when there's, 70.3 at the beach track, you know when you're going to get water, you're going to get lifted up by those people. And, you know, I, I actually do the same sometimes. Like, Carlin gives us a, a disproportionate amount of his time and yeah. cares, like, insanely about our safety. Yeah. But sometimes I'm just like, mate, can you just see me in 5K yeah. or see me in 10K? And he, he's really good. He's like, he'll leave if it's safe. But if he deems it not safe, he'll just say yes and just stay, <laughs> stay behind. But it creates this, what you just explained, it creates this zone where you are actually, like you're, you're 100% in charge of everything. Yes. I don't consider in a race, you're not 100% in charge of anything. No, 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 I agree. You're, okay. you're, you're almost, you're not in the slipstream, but you're in the slipstream. Well, you, the thing is that you don't have a decision to make. Yeah. Well, really, because you, your decision is literally stop or go or just continue, <laughs> yeah. which is a, which then becomes quite a simple decision mm. if you're relatively well trained or and you're just determined to do something. Like it, it's it's a simpler decision. It's not easy, right? Yeah. Necessarily, because no. you can obviously push it, but but it's not as complicated as then having multiple decisions uh, in that kind of situation yeah. which I think is which is different it's not to take it away from, from anything no, but it I, is a different thing I think, I think they're very different mate and that's, that's actually one of the points that I'm I think that's why I've brought it up because that's one of the points I don't think one's right or one's wrong no. I think to, to believe that we're all going to achieve what we want and get the same thing out of one format of race is a little bit delusional because we're all so different. Yes. So yes. hundred people can do a marathon and they're all going to feel different. Some of them are not going to feel it's very hard from the point of signing up to it to, to the, to the sort of post, you know, debrief. They're not going to feel anything. Whereas some people are going to feel a lot. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's why, that's why I'm always interested when people come with different races as to why they're, starting to resonate yes but we're not like you hear people talking about things that they find in marathons and in iron man and uh, i see people just looking at them going like and they just have no clue what they're talking about and yeah. it, it's the same like someone will, will listen to you talking about sort of what you went out to find out there and they probably just can't even resonate with it but that's because we're all we're all so different. Yeah, and it depends what you're after. Because yeah. I think that you can do an Ironman and it can serve a purpose to getting you more disciplined, to getting you in better shape, to building better habits. All those things are great for a whole host of reasons other than just hitting a certain time in an Ironman. Um, but if you're looking for something perhaps a little bit different in terms of challenging yourself on a different mental level, 
then these alternative races or they're mm. not races, but alternative events or adventures can provide you know, that perhaps for you. Do you think... I know more people that have gone through more traditional routes on endurance, such as probably you and I, and actually entered races and done distances and then moved to it. I don't know many people that have come from weird made-up races, if you want to call them that, or made-up challenges, and then come into the narrower, more commercial sort of specified events. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a different thing. So it might even just be a completely different character that seeks these things out. Yeah, maybe. For me personally, I think, to be honest, if there were events on that were more aligned with what I wanted to do, yeah. that probably would have been my first port of call anyway. Right. You know? so, so you never really loved triathlon. Uh, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't... Uh, say you're not doing it for the sport of triathlon, it might be a bit different, but I was doing it for the pursuit of, you know, of fitness and... and pushing yourself from an endurance perspective yes. and finding out about new things and learning new skills and all the other bits and pieces that came with it. And there's an element that I miss about it still because yeah. I still had really fond memories of, of all the training in particular uh, and even the event itself. Yeah. Um, but then I think things change. And like I say, then having come and stumbled into something else when you had no events available to you... Yeah that's when a different part of your brain started thinking. And I think you can do it on the bike because it's a question of, you know, well, it started for me with thinking, well, I'm going to go from Lisbon to the Algarve. And I thought, well, I can, I'm going to have to hire a car or I'm going to have to fly. And then you look on the map and you go, well, it's 300 Ks or something. It's like, well, I did 150 at the weekend. Maybe I'll just take my bike. <laughs> you know, and it, so th that was like a paradigm shift from a, a sport to so more of a just like, you know, I can go and explore that whole coastline mm. that I've never been to before. That would be cool. Let's yeah. go check that out. And then once that thread started, then it's like, well, where else can I ride? Mm. You know, what else can I cover? So your, your triathlon time and your swim times, all, all the splits, they motivated you, but they, they weren't really... They weren't really the be-all and end-all, were they? No. That's but, what I'm getting. No, here. no, no, not at all. What was good, though, was that there was things like swimming, for instance, which I was terrible at to start with. Yeah. And then you put in the time and the graft, and actually you, you saw performance. And so you learn the lesson through doing just something that's difficult. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's swimming or if it's something else. It, it's just purely just application and then consistency. Yeah. And seeing progress. That, you know, there's something big out of just that because you apply that, obviously, everywhere as well. There's one sort of quote that as you get older, your ability to go faster or something along these lines, your ability to go faster declines, so you have to go longer to keep achieving. Yeah, How does yeah. that sit with you, mate? Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it does make sense. Obviously, from a physical perspective, I think that's clear. Yeah. Um, and I think from a mental perspective, as you're learning about things and you start to then come back to that idea of how you make decisions and you become better at making decisions yeah. and you come back into the whole subject of actually giving up or not giving up, mm. and that's what a lot of these longer format events really come down to, then it makes sense that you can excel in those particular type of events even if you're older um, because it's not just about maximum power output over a short period of time. It's about less time 
off the bike or whatever it is. Yeah, or I can I can only push 200 watts, but I can push it for 2,000 k's. Yeah, happy days, you're a champion. Right? Something like that. Like that's that's what you start to uh, that's what you start to dream of. Yeah. So, mate, let's just hop back. We reached Jebel Jace. Yeah. Continue the story. So I think that, like I say, so when the, the narrative starts, and it starts for me in terms of saying, well, you're feeling in this way at the moment. How are you going to feel in the future? So I got to the, to the base of Jebel Jace. I felt terrible, but set up camp. Had all the food. Everything was all sorted. Yeah. Slept for a couple of hours. Started again in the morning. And then again, obviously... The, the body feels terrible. And, and what you see is that, well, what I saw anyway, was that you have the idea of saying, well, how on earth are you going to get up the mountain or let, let alone do it or like three times? How are you going to do it one time? Mm. But you continue to go. So the, the, that voice quietens down a little bit. Mm. And then over a period of time, the voice will come back again and it will start to question, okay, well, what if you can only do one and a half reps? How would that make you feel? You know, because the idea of obviously not doing a complete rep, yeah, that's completely alien. Like, why would you ever, you know? So, so that starts to sit and that starts to fester a little bit, and then time continues and you're still riding, and then the thought comes back and well, what happens if you then turn around and you have to go back, but you have to abandon somewhere that wasn't back to Al Qudra? Mm. How would that make you feel? So you start to realise how this narrative is going. And this is, over the, this is not just in 30 seconds. This is obviously <laughs> over the course of 12 hours. This yeah. is pretty much playing out. And the narrative, what I find interesting is that the narrative changes. It's almost like a line comes to you and you, and you bat it away. And then the brain inside of you thinks again and comes up with a different attack route. What about this? Yeah. And you bat it away. And then it comes up with another one. What about this? And then that's where it's starting to find your weak points, what really matters to you, and then which are the, the kind of the trigger points that is going to start to make you think about, actually, you know what, maybe this isn't the best idea. <laughs> maybe I should actually yeah. stop, you know? And, and, it, and it could just be your, you know, this kind of self-protection, you know, the central governor or whatever yeah. it is that's going, look, your body is really in a world of pain here. You've got to protect yourself a little bit. I don't really believe that much for me in that particular circumstance. I don't think it was that. I think yeah. it's more about protecting your ego. And I think that the points that got me, for instance, I ended up doing one repetition and then changing my plan because I thought really I should have probably done two or three, but did one and then go back. And the line that kind of stuck with me was, one, what happens if you only do one and a half reps? What happens if you have to stop midway through a rep? Mm. And I couldn't comprehend stopping partway through doing something like that. And then the other one is, what happens if you have to abandon partway through? So that was kind of getting me in terms of I was, I think I had some kind of fear of failing in such a, what would be like a bigger way, you know? Mm. But then what kind of sunk it, if you like, was to say, well, what happens if they, if you reframed it, you do one repetition and then you get back within 48 hours from when you set off. And this is like carrot and stick, right? And this is, so you're thinking then is in terms of your own process, is thinking, well, actually, then you've got an achievement out of this that you weren't thinking of before. 
Do you see how the, the brain is almost like kind of taken this fear? It's finally found a fear that resonates with you. Mm. And now it's giving you like a big achievement only if you stop now though. And then at that point in time, not only I, I reached the summit, I came back down a little bit, had a coffee, called the missus and said, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come back. I'm going to try and bake it back within 48 hours. So not only had I kind of backed off what I, I think I probably originally thought should have been the plan, which was two or three reps, mm. I was happy about it. Like I come into that situation thinking, you know what, this is a good decision now. Yeah. And now this is going to be a good goal to get it back. And that's kind of where I went forward with it. So that whole process, when, you, when I sat and thought about it afterwards, was one, how the narrative builds upon itself and finds these points of weakness until it kind of finds one that it can lock into. Yeah. And two, how, how you can think of something that was a good decision. When in reality, it wasn't what you wanted at the start. And it wasn't what you wanted when you, want, when you reflect back on it. And then that starts to make you think about how often do you make other decisions that you think are right in the time. Yeah. But perhaps actually they were just easier at the time. Yeah. Do you think, though, in that scenario, all, you, all that you are actually trying to do is find something that made sense and gave you purpose in that moment? Yeah, I think you were looking for something that was positive. Yeah. Because at the, at the time you were staring down not achieving what you wanted to achieve. So when, when, when you have but you didn't out, really know what you wanted to achieve. Not really. Aside from go out and have some good fun. True, but I think I still knew that I should have been doing more than one rep. <laughs> did you know or did your ego know? <laughs> well, this is the point, right? Because yeah, you think, totally, well, what's right. it for? Yeah. And that was the other thing that this, as part of the conversation that was going through my mind was to test this ego thing out because in the planning stage it's so easy to get run away with the numbers yeah. and you start thinking oh geez I'll just go and do nine reps you know, and, it, and then you start thinking no look, bring this back it's not about the ego it's about the purity of the challenge and whatever else Yeah. and actually that was part of the narrative that kind of pulled me off and say the only reason you're doing three reps is probably for your ego anyway yeah totally and that could easily be true but at the same time I think it was also making me afraid that I was going to abandon Endeavour, and that was also for my ego. Mm. So maybe I could have done three reps and still done that. I don't know. And that's kind of the beauty of it, is that I think that because it's not fixed, yeah. it's not black and white. And yeah. there's still a part of you which thinks, was that exactly right? Could I have pushed a bit further? I don't know. It's super interesting because I think, I actually believe kind of where I was edging there on it, in that the brain starts, or we we are the brain, the brain is within us, starts to put together what's actually going to be meaningful and give us purpose. And because we are a little bit, like we can resonate with numbers. Yes, they're not the be all and end all, but we can resonate with them. If we can attach a number and attach some meaning, then we attach purpose. And when we have purpose, we don't stop. Yes, yes. You know, and, and, and it's, mate, again, another example from Rackman. We're literally coming up the last climb on the run. It was a hike and amble or whatever it was at this stage and we're like shit if we get moving like if we go a little bit quicker we'll actually get this done by midnight yeah but it was never there was never a goal to finish by midnight and midnight meant nothing yes it wasn't a certain number of hours but once we saw on the watch the brain clicked in and it was like yeah let's go yes let's but I think that that's because you're naturally driven towards some form of achievement, yeah. some form of measure. Uh, and I think that you, 
you sometimes attract uh, attach some form of importance to achieving stuff like that. Yeah. So it comes back to yourself and thinking, you know, there's an element of self-importance that you did a certain <laughs> thing, even if it's unrelatable yeah. to a lot of people. There's still that element where you think, well, how much are you doing that for to your own self-worth because you did X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Which is interesting as a because it can be used right as a as a certainly as a short term motivational tool to yeah, push yourself through a particular limit. I mean, it, it is, mate. It's breaking things up. It's one k left. Okay, it's ten to twelve. You know, we'll yeah. get this done by twelve. It's ten minutes to go. Yeah. You know, and the yeah. fact that actually it didn't change the overall time and that there was no goal, but it just in that moment it just had this amazing amount of. It gives you an energy, right? Of meaning and, yeah. and, and of energy, mate. Yeah. One thing that you said or you alluded to was, and, and I've spoken about it before on the show and it's probably not new to a lot of people, is, is what Simon Sinek talks a lot about, the infinite game. Okay. And there isn't really, like, where is the end of this stuff? Like, that, that bike ride went on for as long as it was supposed to go on for. Yeah, yeah. But... When you set out, it was actually, you'd entered an infinite game. Yes. Because there was no end point. Yes. How do you, like a lot of people are thinking like, this guy's nuts. He just went like, at least mate, when we rode back from Jebel Jace, we knew we were coming near to the gym. <laughs> like, but you, you're playing this, you were playing an infinite game. Well, I think that's where it's interesting. Well, I find it particularly interesting, right? Because, <laughs> it's, interesting. because it's not black and white. And that was one of the first thoughts that I had that was, if, if it was a prescribed course, then that whole narrative would have been way simpler. Yeah. But because it's not, it's far more applicable to what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Because there's so many decisions that we make on a day-to-day -day basis that are not black and white, that don't have massive immediate repercussions that you can say, that was good, that was bad, mm. that therefore you reflect upon. So it's far more applicable in some instance, in some uh, contexts from that perspective then. When is the next infinite game or does the next game have I a... I mean, I'm doing Corsica. I'm doing a biking man event in Corsica in the yeah. uh, end of May, first week in June. And I'm interested to see because from a, from a distance perspective and an elevation perspective, it's far more than I've done before, but it doesn't have that element in terms of decision-making because it's fixed route uh, and it's, it's just get around as, as quickly as you can. Mm. So I'm really looking forward to that. But I think that through this whole process of finding these different routes and finding these different ways to challenge yourself, then there's, there's a whole load more stuff that you can do. And I think that it doesn't necessarily need to be really long distances on the bike. You, right. you can definitely do it in, in other formats. And I think you can think about it in your day-to-day -day life in terms of when you're making a decision, you know, you just have that level of awareness of what is the narrative. Mm. Um, and especially if you find yourself turning back on, on a commitment that you'd made small or big, you know, it's then just start to think about, well, why is that happening? Why am I thinking like this? Why am I thinking that it's okay to postpone it to tomorrow? In fact, why am I thinking it might even be better for me to postpone mm. it until tomorrow? Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just giving myself an easy option and I'm just telling a really good story about it because I bet that happens. It happens a lot to me, I think. Yeah. And I think it happens to a lot of people. But you just see, well, that's just what happens. I'm not going to the gym today. I'm going to go in the morning. Actually, you know what? That makes more sense because I've got to get up early and do X, Y, and Z. Immediately, you've just bailed on a decision. Yeah. But it made sense, and it's a good decision in that moment, right? So it's a lot of 
creating awareness around decision making, around purpose, which really is leading us to the point of whether a decision that we have to make is giving up or, or, or not giving up. I mean, yes, I think that's it. I think it comes back to that process. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of similarities between the process that happens when you're thinking about going to the gym after work after a, after a hard day. Yeah. Why is that different? Why is that decision different on a Friday to a Monday? <laughs> right? Same, same decision. Yeah. Um, and then thinking about finding other ways to put yourself into hard situations where you can listen to the narrative. You know, like don't, get distracted by other things and just sit in it for a minute yeah and, and just listen to it but i mean riding your bike long distances is a really good way <laughs> to do that i think because there's just no distractions and you don't have many choices other than carrying on for a while i i loved eddie jones's book that he i think i read it last year and one thing he said in there which I thought I could use in this show and now I've come to the point where I can use it. He says, character in the form of grit, dedication and the ability to form under pressure matters more than pure talent. Yeah. We've not once spoken in the last 45 minutes about your cycling background, the fact that you're an incredible cyclist or not. All of this is actually character. Yeah, and I think that's what got me interested in this in the first place, even from when I was a child playing sports, because I was always fascinated by you know, playing against them and with people that had different levels of talent mm. and trying to figure out why certain people would perform you know, in clutch moments and, and other people wouldn't. You know, why is that person performing to the, the limit of their ability and why is this person not? Mm. Uh, and is that a talent itself or where does that come from? Uh, so that is exactly what it's all about, really. And I think when you talk about high performance, again, in terms of you know, being a parent or being a business owner or whatever it is, it's the same threads that come through again, right? And it's character, it's perseverance, and it's you know, continuing to drive forwards and, and be curious about these things as opposed to any innate ability um, to, the, to do a certain skill first time you do it doesn't actually count for that much yeah. in the long term. And I think that's why when it's clicked, it clicked really well for me and it was locked back in because I used to do it a lot when I was younger, did it through business for a while, and then the last five years I've kind of found it again just through endurance, you know, yeah. and it's, it's not about the bike, right? I'm not a necessarily, I don't feel necessarily like a cyclist as such. <laughs> it, you know, it's just, a, it's a vehicle, not a physical vehicle, but it's like it's a, it's a medium, if you like, to get to that position where you can start to test character, you can build character through it, and you can find difficult positions at the end yeah. of the day. Do you think, does it come, like, is the crossover from life to the sport or from the sport to life, or is it a mishmash of all of them because a lot of people will will ask like oh what do you learn what can you put into life what can you put from business to there but i i don't i feel that well answer that question because i feel that your answer is going to be a little bit different i feel it's the same it's the same thing yeah <clears throat> yeah because it's it's question of your process it's question of your like you say it's question of your character and how you approach a certain thing it doesn't matter to me whether it's difficult on a cricket pitch or in a boardroom or on a bike or in a family situation 
we all have situations where we want to perhaps shy away from them because they're difficult. Yeah. And we have situations that we run towards them because we think we're good at them. And you, you know you're going to be able to knock up an achievement in them because you're relatively strong in that particular situation. Mm. That, that applies across the board, I think. And that's why I think you can, in the first instance, I would take sports lessons into a career in business. And now you're taking business into sports again, but now I'm also taking the, the sports that I'm doing back into business and, and through the family. So for me, it's just, uh, it's, it's all, yeah, it's all the same. Why do you think then, I'm sort of setting you up for this, mate. <laughs> Not to fail at it, but why, why are we always trying to separate them? Um, in what in what way? Well, we we talk about lessons in sport, all oh, right, and okay. then we talk about lessons in business, and we, you know, yeah. I guess people identify with things in com- compartments. Yeah, yeah. I I personally have quite um, like if I find a problem, I'll break it down into its components and I'll try and build it back up. Mm-hmm. Now that works some of the time, but actually it doesn't work in some instances where you have to see the whole problem. But when, as humans, I think you have a complex issue, we're hardwired to try and break it down into individual components, you know, address it and then plug it back together and then then kind of move on. So if people think about a business problem, they may also just identify as a business person and they think, okay, well, that's relevant for me. I can apply that because I'm a business person. Mm. Um, In reality, some of the stuff that you'll teach or you'll learn out of a business seminar could be very similar to what you'd learn out of a sports management or a coaching seminar as well. Yeah. Um, when you're talking about man management or, you know, people relations and stuff like that. Yeah. It's very, very similar. Actually. I think it is. And I think that's actually, if, if, we, if we understand why we give up in, in certain areas, there's so much, like, it's all one. Yes. It's yes. all one. Yes. You know, I, I, I give up on bits of work when I don't see what you said at the top of the show, when I don't really see any purpose. Yeah, and I think... I can't connect it. I think at some point, it's also... It's not okay to give up because we think that giving up has got a negative nature. But at the end of the day, everyone's given up on something like an international sports career or whatever it is, and and you've let it go because it's not serving your purpose anymore. Yeah. right, And that's totally fine. It happens in relationships, it happens in business. Like It's not completely negative. Yeah. I think... It applies to so many different things. Yeah. Um, that I think that's the reason why it's really important to understand the process of it and that, to come back to that narrative of it, are you spinning a narrative where you're walking out of that situation thinking you made the right decision? Yeah. And did you actually make the right decision? Yeah. yeah. Right? Because, because it could be the right decision. It yeah. could be that, that piece of work was actually distracting you from what you should have been doing, which is your primary 100%. focus, right? 100%. But it could also just be that actually it was just getting a bit tough and you were a bit tired. <laughs> and I mean, I guess that's a whole other show as well, mate, is that we've spoken a lot about why, why we give up. We haven't talked a lot about what you sort of touched on there. Of There's actually some huge positives of stopping. Yes certain yes, things yes, yes you know there it probably served you in the best way with the example we spoke about to just do what you did on double chase spin round and and make it home in in that new timeline that gave you purpose which was 48 yeah, hours possibly it, it probably felt you've probably had mixed emotions yeah then and you probably get them now but that was actually a really smart thing to do yeah it wasn't you hadn't and that's why i don't actually see that like it's not a give up 
but if we took it as to where your brain was at, that it could be three, it could be five, yeah. you actually gave up on those. Yeah. But you've actually made a super smart decision. Yeah. And like you said, that piece of work that I got into, it could have just been distracting me or this is actually, you know, it's prolonging an injury and, and, and slowing down my, my recovery if I keep going now. Yes. And yeah. it's so interlinked with everything else you said is that it's probably just in that moment the ego that's just destroying you. Yeah. You just uh, don't want to lose. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, at the end of the day, you have to be able to be ruthless with your decisions to stop doing stuff, to give mm. up on things, yeah. right? In order to focus, in order to prioritize and to simplify the elements you really want to go hard on, you have to be able to do that. So there's a skill in giving up, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it, it's all, it just comes back to the fact that it's just a decision. You know, and it's how good are you at making a decision yeah. and how good are you at making a decision when you're under fatigue. Um, that's really the crux of it. And that's why it applies across so many different points, really. Mate, absolutely brilliant. I won't take any more of your time or your decision making or your brain <laughs> power, but that's a great conversation and definitely one I'll listen back to a couple of times and people yeah. if you've made it to the end folks and you understand a little bit about what we've been talking about you've done well because we just go in a few different directions but mate thank you very much it, it's it's inspiring mate it really is because it's such a i don't think it's an something new but the way that you phrase those things it just makes sense you know and to be in touch with a decision making process then you'll actually you won't reach these bad points of a bad failure. No, and, and you're learning, know. right? And, and you can yeah. continue to improve upon it. Yeah, that's, that's the, the key point, I think. Ollie, thank you very much, right. mate. Thank you. Cheers.